I'm author and athlete Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show. The research is clear that red meat is vastly superior to the other favored meats like chicken, turkey, and pork. Eggs, you know, across the board, nutritional profile, a great source of protein, healthy fats, B-complex vitamins, choline, which you hear about associated with eggs a lot, and that's because it's difficult to find in high levels in other foods, folate, and the list goes on and on. A 2006 study by the Harvard School of Public Health concluded that regular consumption of fish helps dramatically reduce the risk of heart disease and the benefits, uh, especially the omega-3 content, outweigh the potential risks of ingesting toxins from fish caught in polluted waters. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. Greetings and welcome to part four of the series on optimizing your animal-based diet. Part one, we talked about the rationale and the benefits, especially the importance of getting rid of toxic modern heavily processed foods before we even talk about optimizing and tiered ranking systems. Uh, We talked about how it relates to dropping excess body fat. And then in part two, we covered the two major shifts that I've experienced in philosophy and strategy in recent years, one of them being the carnivore diet rationale that animal foods provide the uh, bulk of the nutritional density and that plant foods, especially the superstars in the produce category, uh, are not only unnecessary or minimally beneficial, but can even be counterproductive. 
that was turning point number one. And then I talked about this energy balance concept as presented nicely by Jay Feldman on the Energy Balance Podcast and on my two interviews with him and my four-part series of reflections on the model and bringing in all kinds of other experts and people who are rethinking the, uh, the implementation of restrictive diets when we can also acknowledge that there are many other stressors that we put our body through that possibly achieve similar results via redundant pathways. And then part three, we finally got into the carnivore scores chart and covered the top two categories, which were the global all-stars of grass-fed liver, oyster, salmon, roe, and caviar, and fruit, and then the animal organs category and talked in detail about the various types of organs, uh, bone broth, taking supplements if you're not getting a lot of organs in your actual diet. And boy, I went into pretty good detail because I do feel like this is such an important topic to optimize your diet and make the good choices at the store and at restaurants. And as we continue here with part four, we're going to cover the other tiered rankings of the carnivore scores chart. If you haven't downloaded it already, please visit bradkearns.com. You can find the link at the bottom of the homepage. Free download PDF. You print it out, the beautiful, lovely color and design by Caroline DeVita. Tape it to your refrigerator and try to focus on getting most of your calories from the top categories of foods. And this is a great time for an authentic plug for ButcherBox because most of my food comes from this incredible internet resource that is so helpful, so convenient, and have done the hard work to select the very highest quality animal products in every category. So we're talking about 100% grass-fed beef. We're talking about organic pasture-raised poultry. And we're talking about heritage breed pork. Everything in their offering, they're throwing in the special offer for free bacon. Uh, right now, it's free chicken drumsticks. And so you're getting the cream of the crop when it comes to selecting uh, the, the best chicken for you or the best bacon. And that's a super important topic as we'll get to when we hit the tier of chicken, turkey, and pork on the carnivore scores chart because conventionally raised meats of those types of animals have a lot of objections and are vastly inferior to red meat if the red meat's conventionally raised as well. And of course, we always want to source um, grass-fed, organic, pasture-raised, but there's a lot of occasions, especially when dining out, where we're uh, obligated or forced to consume from the mainstream, and that's where you really want to prioritize red meat. And so that flips the script from the long-time jabbering of people saying, yeah, I'm trying to get healthier, so I only eat chicken and fish, and I don't eat red meat. Oh, congratulations, round of applause. And in fact, the, the sentence should be flopped, turned on its ear, and if someone's trying to get healthier and increase the nutrient quality of their diet, minimize animal suffering and sustainability concerns and the nasty conditions that chicken and pork are raised in, the cattle have a much better deal. And I'm jumping in a little bit, but this is a, a key turnaround and takeaway. When you think about uh, all conventional cattle are pretty much 80% grass-fed. In other words, they all start their lives and spend most of their lives out there on the open plains consuming grass, their natural diet. And so uh, the place where conventional feedlot operation takes a turn 
from the wonderful farming operations of 100% grass-fed is the end part of their life, the last several months. They go to the feedlot, like you see on the side of the road, perhaps driving on Interstate 5 in California. You see a giant feedlot, and these poor guys are crammed in there, and they're stuffing their face with feed, not their natural diet, but the uh, the you know the soy and corn-based stuff that we hear so much adverse uh, criticism about, and they gain hundreds of pounds in the final months of their diet. So they're no longer 100% grass-fed, but they're mostly grass-fed and grain-finished. And here's where um, we go right into the red meat category so I can continue my conversation uh, naturally. And this is an important uh, revision to the original carnivore scores chart. So please, if you downloaded it uh, a year ago or however, two years ago, um, throw that one away and put this one up because red meat rose up the ranking system and is in that nice number three spot below the global all-stars and the animal organs from the previous show. So we passed up eggs and fish. The research is clear that red meat is vastly superior to the other favored meats like chicken, turkey, and pork, and much less objectionable when it's coming to the mainstream. And it has to do with the cow and the other uh, red meats. So this would be uh, sheep, goat, buffalo, deer, elk, giraffes and camels, which uh, some people eat, uh, these types of animals are known as ruminant animals. And the ruminant animal has a multi-chambered stomach, whereby they are better able to process the grain-based feed that they get at the end of their life and not turn out an adverse end product of uh, animal tissue that is high in the undesirable uh, polyunsaturated oils. Uh, unlike the chicken, the turkey, or the pig. So when they're fed grain feed, which they all are in conventional uh, presentation, um, they turn out uh, adverse end product uh, uh, tissue that's high in polyunsaturated fats and lower in the more desirable uh, saturated fats, as you would see with a cow. So the cow can chow down and then still turn out um, a good end product when it comes to the uh, muscle meat, which is mostly what we're consuming in mainstream cu cuisine. Okay, so the ruminant animal has a digestive system that's highly specialized and a lot different from the human digestive system. So we are not ruminant animals. We fall in line with the chicken, turkey, pork, whereby when we consume uh, adverse dietary foods that are high in polyunsaturated oils, uh, it wreaks havoc on our own cellular function as it did on the animal that we just consumed. Whereas the stomach, the four-chambered stomach of the cow, um, the rumen is the largest section and that's where the digestion occurs. It's filled with billions of microbes that can digest grass and other vegetation that humans with one stomach cannot. Our gut contains 38 trillion microbes that help us digest our food and other functions, but our gut microbiome is not capable of what the ruminant animal's gut microbiome can do. We have not evolved to create the enzymes and um, digest some of the, uh, the, the elements in the grain feed in this example, or the, the plant foods that we consume, uh, sometimes they cause problems, right? So when the ruminants consume grass and other plant foods, the food is not completely chewed and digested immediately. The partially chewed plant food is stored in the rumen and broken down into chunks called cud. Have you heard that term used with the cow? The cow's chewing cud. When the animal has eaten until it's full, it will rest and chew its cud later. When the cud is fully chewed, it's then swallowed and passed into the next three compartments of its digestive system. 
the reticulum, the omasum, and finally the true stomach, the abomasum. The stomach completes the digestion process. Many of the plants we try to eat cannot be digested well by us because we don't have this four-chambered approach. And so um, when they're not broken down into absorbable nutrients because of anti-nutrients in the case of humans consuming plants that contain anti-nutrients or other indigestible substances, uh, we have the potential for adverse reaction. In contrast, the ruminants can convert these plant foods and plant residues, plant toxins, into high-quality bioavailable nutrients that are eventually stored in their tissues, the tissues that we eat when we consume animals nose to tail. Um, granted, that's why nose to tail is so important because when we only eat muscle meats or focus on muscle meats, we're not getting all the benefits of the animal because there are other nutrients stored in their organs, in their cartilage, as we talked about on the previous show. So that's the good news that your cattle is delivering an end product that's less objectionable, but I still wanna put a plug in here for the importance of trying to source 100% grass-fed beef because the feedlot operations are indeed pathetic. You've probably heard the stats about how they contribute to uh, climate pollution. By the way, um, uh, agriculture, plant agriculture makes a similar contribution to the concerns that we have about the planet. So this uh, storyline, this dogma that if you uh, eschew consuming meat and you're just eating salad and kale smoothies that you're uh, improving your green footprint or, or having higher consciousness is simply not, is easily refuted. And Paul Saladino has some good shows about that going into extreme detail. And then compare and contrast with um, sustainable farming agriculture and talking about his sponsor, White Oak Pastures in the American South, where they have a net carbon improvement. Uh, in other words, carbon is sequestered in the soil by the 100% grass-fed animals. So the animals are doing their part when they're allowed to live in their natural environment for their entire life to make an actual uh, improvement rather than contributing to the carbon emissions. Very interesting. Uh, so back to the feedlots. Yeah, it, it's, not, um, it's not a good deal. They're, they're cramped in there. Um, as the story goes, they're often standing in their own waste and they're consuming these grain foods that are laden with hormones, pesticides, and antibiotics, the hormones to make them grow more quickly, the antibiotics to ward off disease because they are living in such close, dirty quarters. And uh, in some cases, uh, they are fed just anything to fatten them up, including things like uh, candy bars with the wrapper still on. They're just throwing stuff in and uh, they fatten up very quickly, hundreds of pounds in a matter of months. And then they go to the slaughterhouse, which is a stressful environment for them. And that's really important when it comes to the end product, as any hunter will tell you, not I, because I'm not a hunter, but it's fascinating to learn that an animal under stress when it's killed will have, uh, an, this will have an adverse effect on their tissues and on the, the, the food that you're consuming. And so in hunting, uh, it, is, uh, it is known that they don't want to uh, consume, they don't want to eat an animal that got wounded and carried on. So they need to have a fresh kill, an immediate kill, the animal going down by surprise. Uh, but if you uh, hit a, a grazing shot and the animal's hurt and tries to run away, it's completely filled with stress hormones coursing through their bloodstream. And these stress hormones affect the end product of the muscle meat that you're consuming in an adverse manner. I think it, it, it tastes bad and all those kind of things. So 
these highly stressed animals that are slaughtered in the slaughterhouse, a lot of times, as detailed in the book Fast Food Nation, a lot of times they require chemical agents to flavor the meat to make it taste good because the um, the, the animal just had uh, adverse uh, harvesting circumstances. And then when they're heavily processed, uh, things like the fast food burgers getting shipped around the country in trucks, uh, they are flavored with a meat-like chemical taste because their actual original flavor would be so bland that you would not uh, you would not think it tastes like a hamburger. It wouldn't be a good tasting hamburger. And um, Eric Slosser, the author, has a very memorable passage where he was uh, visiting this area of New Jersey off the turnpike where the vast majority of the chemical flavoring uh, laboratories are located. And they would um, blindfold him and, you know, put a test tube in front of him. And he would describe how it smelled exactly like a burger and fries because they are so adept at creating the chemical experience uh, for your senses uh, of smell, especially um, to, to make sure that when you're eating the burger and fries that they serve up that are so nutrient deficient and heavily processed, you're going to get that, um, that, that flavor impact. And so when we're talking about uh, cattle, um, we do have to give a nod to the uh, non-mainstream red meat, uh, especially buffalo slash bison. And uh, that's the same animal, but they're often called buffalo and they really are bison. I think that's the accurate um, explanation here. Um, but when you're talking about um, an animal that's consumed uh, much less frequently, much less mainstream, what you're getting is better living circumstances, better harvesting circumstances. You don't call it slaughter, you call it harvesting, because uh, in the case of uh, Wild Idea Buffalo and their great website and the information they describe there, um, these buffalo are roaming the open plains for their entire life. They're 100% grass fed. And then when it's time to be sacrificed, they go right out on the spot out in the in the Great Plains and harvest them in the most possible humane manner so that the buffalo is relaxed and enjoyed their life on the plains. And they're talking in comparison with buffalo about 40,000 per year. Oh no, 60,000 buffalo are humanely harvested on the spot at their home on the plains, no, uh, not laden with stress hormones. And when we're talking about beef production, we're talking about 40 million head of cattle per year are slaughtered in the United States alone. That's 150,000 per day. And of course, when you have that type of mechanization and that level of food production, you're going to be looking at all kinds of uh, objections uh, to health in contrast to buffalo. Um, if you want to learn more, check out that Wild Idea Buffalo website. And also noting that ButcherBox now offers uh, ground bison and so you can uh, plug into that. And so I've switched my uh, typical monthly shipment to get maximum number of ground bison patties and then a whole bunch of ribeye steak. And so every month I'm able to eat at the very top of the ranking system, the best meat you can possibly get. It tastes delicious, even without flavoring or sauces or uh, marinating. And that is another sign of a truly high quality animal. So that is the red meat section and why it's bumped up the rankings. Uh, say no more. Next, we go to the category of eggs. And again, this is a ancestral dietary centerpiece. 
um, a fundamental driver of human evolution. We've been raiding the nest for a long time and gaining access to the incredible nutrient density of the egg, one of the most complete foods. It's the life force essence of the animal, right? So you can't get uh, more complete. Yes, indeed, you could live off eggs alone uh, for the rest of your life, right? Again, possible, but not optimal. Uh, so eggs, you know, across the board, nutritional profile, a great source of protein, healthy fats, B-complex vitamins, choline, which you hear about associated with eggs a lot, and that's because it's difficult to find in high levels in other foods, folate, and the list goes on and on. So when we're talking about uh, ranking eggs, the best are the local eggs from the farm where uh, the chicken was allowed to lead its natural lifestyle on the pasture and consume its natural diet filled with uh, bugs, worms, insects, and grass. And when you have that truly pasture-raised egg, it is going to deliver an end product that has up to 10 times more omega-3s than conventionally raised eggs. And it also an incredible flavor intensity when you bite into that yolk, you can have just a tremendous difference in taste from the conventional egg that you're used to. And how do you get tipped off that you're consuming a good egg? It's a very distinctive orange tinted yolk. And that is from the higher levels of beta carotene than the watery, waxy, dull, yellow looking yolk from a chicken that has lived her life in the chicken coop and in many cases consumed exclusively uh, feed rather than being allowed to roam free. And the labeling and the certification and the guidelines for what you can put on a carton of eggs is a really tough one. We did a lot of research for um, one of the earlier Primal Blueprint books, and it's pretty rough because you see all these different terms like natural, naturally raised, um, uh, organic, organic referring to uh, in many cases, just that the feed itself was organic, not that um, the, the chicken was pasture raised and ate a natural foods diet. You'll find other distinctions like hormone free, high omega three, all kinds of stuff trying to make the carton of eggs look good, but nothing uh, compares to the distinction of pasture raised. And also, you want to see on the uh, ideally on the carton, uh, humane certified. And these are uh, official stamps. It has a logo. And this implies that uh, the chicken uh, spent a lot of time on the pasture and that the farm was inspected and scrutinized in order to achieve that distinction. Now, if you're talking about the local farmer, they're not going to have any stamps or logos uh, that cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to apply for. Those are from um, you know, the, the commercial brands that distribute widely. So your best bet's going to go find a farmer and uh, see how they raise their chickens uh, or a hobbyist even better. So someone in the neighborhood with a little cardboard sign, the chickens are laying eggs, you grab those things and um, they're precious. So uh, find that. And then uh, next best, if you want to go to the market and find pasture raised distinction. And again, um, there's minimal regulation here. But if you do see a carton that says pasture raised and humane certified, humane certified has regulation. The term pasture raised has minimal regulation. And so a lot of times these chickens were out on the pasture and they might have been given some supplemental feed. But when a company is going to the trouble to uh, emblazon their, their carton 
with terms like that, you know they cared more than just an egg that says sunny, fresh, or something of a more marketing nature. So do the best you can there. And if you can't find pasture raised, the next best ranking would be organic or hormone-free or other such distinctions, which implies that they uh, got a little bit better feed than maybe the one that had no such distinction on there. And it's so much better and it's so much of a return on investment that you really want to go hard here and prioritize consuming pasture-raised eggs, uh, if at all possible. And uh, failing that, for sure, uh, get organic with the egg. And just stay away from the uh, mainstream categories that couldn't bother and didn't care to uh, try to um, improve the chicken's life and improve the chicken's feed source. Uh, we have the yolk and the white. So just to describe um, what's going on there, the white is essentially egg protein and it doesn't have a lot of other nutrients except for a nice source of protein. So the yolk is where the uh, micronutrients are concentrated and that's what makes the egg one of the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. So it's all in the yolk and um, that's where we have this... Um, recalibration necessary where we've been told that yolks are high in cholesterol and so we want to stay away from eggs or go for the ridiculous product of egg whites <laughs> they should make egg yolks in a carton instead of egg whites i mean that's again a complete flip-flop is necessary here because the yolk is where we're getting all the nutrition um, if you're worried about cholesterol and even engaging with a medical professional that's talking about that uh, mentioning egg consumption in association with cholesterol this has been strongly refuted by the largest and most respected scientific studies. And it is now known with great certainty that your dietary cholesterol consumption has no effect on your blood cholesterol levels. So if you go on a low cholesterol diet uh, based on recommendation that's now 40 years old from whoever told you, your neighbor or your doctor, and you have equal chance of getting sound information from a neighbor or a doctor because the doctor again has not been necessarily trained in nutrition at all and i've had many guests on and you can hear many mds who are in the health space talk about how they had one class or even less than one class on nutrition in four years of medical school uh, my most recent reference is uh, dr joy kong the uh, stem cell expert who's on my podcast uh, recently and she said at UCLA, yeah, she had, uh, she believes, like an hour of lecture and then on to the next important topic. Okay, so a Harvard Medical School study that followed 115,000 individuals from 8 to 14 years found no correlation between egg consumption and heart disease or stroke. A 2008 study in the International Journal of Obesity suggests that eating two eggs for breakfast is better than a bagel. And the Framingham study, which started in 1948, it's the longest and largest longitudinal study about healthy habits that's ever been performed. And it's uh, tracking the lifestyle behaviors and the diet and the exercise patterns, everything uh, from residents of Framingham, Massachusetts for generations. So a highly respected study. They found, quote, no correlation between cholesterol intake and blood cholesterol and no correlation between cholesterol and heart disease. So instead, we're compelled to turn our attention to things like one's triglyceride to HDL ratio. Both Dr. Kate Shanahan and Dr. Ron Sinha 
recommend that you focus on that ratio in your blood panels to assess your heart disease risk. And ideally, we're going to be at one-to-one -one or even better. In other words, HDL is higher than triglycerides. But if you have a good triglycerides to HDL ratio, that indicates that your blood is good. You're not in the heart disease pattern. And if you don't, um, that's something that you want to strive to immediately correct, largely by cleaning up the diet, ditching those processed oils and excessive intake of processed carbohydrates. Okay. So just like I mentioned with buffalo compared to cattle, you have the option uh, more difficult and less common, but you can find some alternative eggs, which are a great choice because again, they don't have that uh, mass production uh, objections. Um, I can find duck eggs in a variety of natural food supermarkets. They're a little bigger than chicken eggs. They taste a little stronger. They taste a little more eggy. So they're really rich and they're fun to mix into uh, your pattern of consuming only chicken eggs. Quail eggs, which is a delicacy at a Japanese restaurant, and I sometimes find those in the market. They're really tiny and fragile and delicate. They're about the size of um, the top of your fingernail, or the, the top uh, joint of your finger, and you have to peel them with a knife, like make a small incision on the side to get the yolk out without crushing the shell and have it go into the pan where you're cooking. Uh, but they're delicious and uh, really cute to put those into the mix. And you can also find eggs from emu, ostrich, goose, and pheasant if you look carefully and try to integrate those into your diet. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low impact options, an assortment of high intensity interval training and high intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one -on -one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find.
Okay, there you go for the eggs category and moving down the chart to the next category, we have wild caught oily cold water fish. And these are the foods that deliver the highest levels of omega-3 fatty acids, the vaunted omega-3 fatty acids that are difficult to find in uh, other areas of diet, especially in the plant category where you're not getting the most bioavailable uh, types of omega-3, which are DHA and EPA. So when you're consuming these fish, um, you're taking care of that kind of business and you're also getting a variety of other nutrients. You're getting a complete protein, B-complex vitamins, selenium, vitamin D, vitamin E, zinc, iron, magnesium, phosphorus, antioxidants, and much more. A 2006 study by the Harvard School of Public Health concluded that regular consumption of fish helps dramatically reduce the risk of heart disease and the benefits, uh, especially the omega-3 content, outweigh the potential risks of ingesting toxins from fish caught in polluted waters. Um, now, we do have to be very selective in this category when we have concerns about sustainability and uh, harvesting methods where other animals are harmed. You know, the dolphins caught in the net when the people are catching tuna from uh, adverse fishing practices. There's overfishing. There's risks of uh, bringing in fish from polluted waters and have uh, poorly regulated areas of the globe. So a lot of stuff imported from Asia. I see those nice chunks of tuna for sale at Costco, but I pass on those because um, it's difficult to accept uh, this, this product flown in from across the world uh, with lax regulations on things like chemical use and so forth. And then there's a lot of objections to farm fish. So we'll go over these uh, somewhat briefly here in this show. But if you can focus on the small, wild-caught, oily, cold-water fish as represented by the acronym SMASH. So the SMASH family are sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon, and herring. Uh, the good thing about consuming a small fish is it's lower on the food chain of the oceans, and so they will have uh, lower levels of the toxins that we hear about and object to, uh, such as mercury. And furthermore, the small, oily, cold water fish, uh, cold water being uh, where their, where their um, natural habitat is, uh, they also have the highest levels of omega-3s. And there are also uh, other categories of fish that are approved. And it starts to get a little tricky when you're navigating um, which fish are okay and which aren't. Um, there's some great resources like the Marine Stewardship Council, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch, and the Environmental Defense Fund that will give you thumbs up or thumbs down and ranking on which foods, which fish are uh, approved to consume and which you might want to avoid. And unfortunately, um, the most commonly consumed fish are oftentimes uh, highly objectionable. How about that? Of course, because we have to process more and more and more. So um, shrimp are uh, potentially problematic because they're over-farmed and perhaps in cramped conditions. Uh, I saw an interview once with an author uh, who wrote a book, something to the title of Don't Eat Shrimp, <laughs> and he had his whole you know life's work here arguing against uh, one of the most uh, favored fish. Um, a lot of the tuna is uh, harvested in objectionable manner. And then, of course, uh, salmon, everyone's favorite. Most of the salmon that you are seeing in the marketplace is farm-raised Atlantic salmon. And it's 
often confusing when we hear the term Atlantic salmon. Atlantic is a species of salmon. It's not the location of the Atlantic Ocean uh, where the salmon was caught. And so we kind of know that wild-caught fish are important and we want to get wild-caught salmon. And then the waitress comes over and says, uh, yes, our salmon comes from the Atlantic. No, not necessarily. It might have come from a farm in Chile, uh, and it's the Atlantic species. And when we talk about Pacific salmon, this is by and large a wild-caught uh, category because they do very little farming of the Pacific species, which are things like Chinook, Sockeye, Coho, Pink, and Chum. These are different types of salmon. Uh, their habitat is the Pacific Ocean, and they are great choices for wild-caught fish. Uh, there are some farming of coho salmon, and a lot of people give a thumbs up to that type of salmon if you're trying to get farm salmon. And so a quality uh, specialty fish market or natural foods grocer might have um, uh, farmed coho salmon uh, maybe right next to the cheaper farmed Atlantic salmon. Okay, so the farmed Atlantic salmon, they're fed pellets, antibiotics, uh, lower value feed rather than their wild diet. They're often raised under unsanitary conditions similar to those of ranch animals. They're exposed to high levels of dangerous chemicals such as dioxin, dieldrin, toxaphene, and other pesticides or toxic residue. residue. And these are from uh, contaminated sediments that are found in the fish meal that are easily absorbed into their fat cells. And of course, we like to taste that nice melt-in-your-mouth fatty salmon. And a lot of times the wild-caught variety is a little leaner, so it doesn't have that same uh, appeal when you're talking about the delicious taste of the, the salmon when they prepare it nicely at a restaurant. But we're talking about that farm variety that is more fatty and giving you uh, less health benefit uh, farm salmon in the crowded conditions may be routinely exposed to their own waste. Guess what? Why they come out pink? Because they're fed artificial dyes that help their flesh match the deep pink color of wild salmon. And the wild salmon gets the pink from the molecules of carotenoids containing the pigment astaxanthin. And that's because uh, these things are plentiful in their natural diet out in the ocean uh, when the salmon eat. Uh, things like tiny shrimp, and uh, process the, the, the food accordingly. Um, the antibiotics are used to fight infection in the cramped quarters. And uh, this is an undesirable quote. Uh, the waste from a large salmon farm is estimated to equal the sewage from a city of 10,000 people and deliver assorted negative effects on the surrounding marine ecosystem. A 2000 report in the journal Science warned that farm salmon contained 10 times the amount of toxins of wild salmon and should be only eaten one time in five months. And that's why people like Dr. Paul Saladino uh, has Instagram video and podcast content saying that he's chosen to pretty much uh, avoid fish in favor of consuming 100% uh, grass-fed ruminant red meat because there's just too many concerns about the planet, about the fishing practices, about the sustainability. So all this is food for thought, of course, and maybe warrants some moderation with your uh, consumption of fish. But again, let's step back for a second and admit that we're talking about salmon here. So if we're scrutinizing our salmon consumption, uh, boy, we're pretty far down the line when we've eliminated those uh, frozen meals and packaged treats and sweets and crap 
that we're putting into our body every day. But again, that's what this show's about is uh, scrutinizing and doing your best. And interestingly, um, the budget concern of uh, sourcing wild-caught salmon is quite significant. It's quite expensive. Some of the uh, price per pound when you're looking at a quality store is eye-popping. You're going to have a very expensive meal when you buy one cut of salmon. But uh, there's plenty of opportunity to purchase uh, canned wild-caught salmon at a very affordable price. No, it's not the same as cooking a fresh filet, but if you want to include this in your diet and you want to uh, rise up the ranking system, perhaps integrate the previously frozen wild-caught salmon or the canned wild-caught salmon at a far better price point. So even if your budget is tight, you can still bring in the wild-caught salmon and try to stay away from the uh, farmed Atlantic salmon, which is almost certainly what you're getting at any restaurant of any quality from uh, a medium price chain to the very, very best restaurants, uh, unless otherwise stated on the menu. So if your waiter proudly comes over and says, we have our special tonight, it's wild caught sockeye flown in from Alaska, and I'd love to serve it to you for a $37 entree, whatever, Hey, that's great. But if they don't specify otherwise and they say, we have fresh salmon uh, just flown in, okay, um, it's almost certainly to be uh, farmed Atlantic salmon. So with fish, we're going to emphasize the smash family, uh, especially the wonderful affordability of sardines, mackerel, the canned uh, oily cold water fish. Um, we're going to try to choose salmon with better scrutiny and find some wild-caught options and uh, the other categories to avoid. Uh, hopefully you're already aware, but the top of the food chain stuff like sword, shark, marlin, the big fish, they have too many concerns about mercury and other contaminants from being the, being the big guys ruling the ocean that they are uh, recommended to never consume. Um, also be wary of imports from Asia because of the concerns about polluted waters and perhaps chemical use. Uh, poor regulation if the, uh, if the fish is farmed. Um, we're going to be uh, really trying to cut back or perhaps pass on farmed Atlantic salmon. Um, most farm fish is going to be um, a step-down concern from uh, a wild-caught fish, but there are some exceptions. So there's some thumbs up for uh, certain farm fish, and some of this list includes domestic barramundi, catfish, crayfish, and tilapia, trout, and farmed shellfish, which is the next category on the carnivore scores chart. Uh, shellfish are okay because they're not uh, consuming these feed pellets that have all the objections and the chemicals, and they're attached to a stationary object, so they're not worried about, for example, swimming around in a dirty pen. Uh, so pull up one of those websites, Marine Stewardship Council, Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch, and Environmental Defense Fund, uh, if you want to scrutinize further. And that'll take us right to shellfish, an excellent source of monounsaturated fatty acids and omega-3 fatty acids. And we want to find um, sustainably caught and raised forms of shellfish whenever possible. And we already mentioned oysters at the top category. So we have oysters here and other things such as clams, crab, lobster, mussels, octopus, and scallops. Um, we want to just look for good farming practices if we can get that kind of information. But again, farm shellfish are okay uh, because their circumstances are different than the uh, swimming around fish on the farm. Um, it's nice to 
try and find uh, a fresh product rather than frozen. Uh, but again, if you're uh, navigating the chart and you're doing well with a lot of entrees and choices in the aforementioned ranking categories, and you're throwing in some shellfish, good stuff. Now we get to chicken, turkey, and pork. Okay, I already explained how these animals are monogastric, single stomach, like a human, so they're greatly harmed by consuming their feed. And in the chicken's case, uh, they live a life of pure torture. So if you're worried about uh, animal humane concerns and you compare the life of a cow to a chicken, um, they have a tough time. And uh, so does the pig living in filthy conditions, uh, being fed a nasty diet entirely inappropriate for that species. And this is um, uh, easily revealed when you go buy a pack of bacon in the store and it's mostly fat. And that's the, the, the poor pig uh, consuming that feed and turning it into um, health objection of high polyunsaturated fat. Um, this is another uh, passage borrowed from Dr. Dannenberg's book. And I should mention I was reading some there when we were talking about the red meat and the ruminant animal. So uh, Dr. Dannenberg says, today's chickens and hogs are usually fed corn and soy products. These products are high in linoleic fatty acid. Um, that is something that we do not want at, at hardly any level in the human diet. And you'll hear a lot of experts when they're talking quickly through an interview talking about the linoleic acid levels. And so now you know this is um, a type of fat that is uh, inflammatory and interferes with healthy cellular function, mitochondrial function. And so when you're consuming an animal high in linoleic acid, even if it's an organic chicken, again, organic just refers to the feed, but the feed is still high in linoleic acid. This linoleic acid accumulates in the meat, skin, fat, and the organs of the chicken and pork. So when you, can, when you consume uh, a corn and soy fed animal, this linoleic acid accumulates in your body and specifically in your fat cells. Uh, They're categorized as omega-6. And so a lot of times you hear, on, hear people talking about trying to optimize the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio in the diet. Some of that commentary has gotten out of hand where we're making this blanket assumption that omega-6 is inflammatory. We don't want to eat it. Omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. And so it's like this good and bad, this black and white thinking. Uh, but one thing I like to take a step back on is that there are um, processed foods that are high in omega-6 that are entirely unhealthy. And then there are some foods that are natural and nutritious that um, may be less objectionable. For example, all nuts and seeds are higher in omega-6 than omega-3. But interestingly, as we further the conversation and we go look at Jay Feldman's website, he makes a case that we don't, he doesn't want us to consume uh, any polyunsaturated fatty acids in the diet because they are uh, temperature unstable. They're easily susceptible to oxidative damage. And that's an interesting take that's putting it out there a little further than many of the other experts, thought leaders that are saying, um, you know, healthy omega-6 like nuts and seeds are okay and stay away from the processed foods. Uh, but when it comes to that uh, chicken, turkey, and pork, um, we are way down the ranking system from, let's say, grass-fed beef. So I hope you're straight on that now. And even if you go to the farmer's market and find that pasture-raised chicken, that pristine animal, or you go to distal turkey and find their 100% pasture-raised turkeys and order one every Thanksgiving, 
you're still getting uh, a, you're getting a quality meal, uh, but it does rank below, uh, let's say, red meat in terms of uh, micronutrient density. Uh, that's not to hardly uh, criticize that. And if you love chicken and love turkey, go get uh, with with strict discipline um, the organic pasture raised or heritage breed pork is the term uh, for the best pork. And hence, I talked about ButcherBox. When you log on to their website, that's what you see is uh, exclusively uh, pasture-raised chicken, completely pasture-raised, and the heritage breed pork. And so that brings us down to organic high-fat dairy. Um, there is some dispute about the role of dairy in that healthy uh, animal-based peak performance diet. And so uh, the dispute comes from uh, certain people that don't tolerate as well as others. So what we want to do here is choose the very best in the dairy category and uh, assess for any potential adverse symptoms when you remove it for a while, put it back in, whatever, and um, off we go. So the gold standard here when you choose dairy products is raw, fermented, unpasteurized, unsweetened, high-fat, low-carbohydrate, organic, selections. Yeah, that's a tall order to find the gold standard, especially raw, because again, there's more concerns there. If you're consuming raw milk, uh, you have potentially higher exposure to pathogens because the milk has not been homogenized or pasteurized. But the pasteurization and the homogenization process uh, cause an assortment of difficulties with digestion. And that's where people have that reactivity often is from a processed dairy product. And when you're talking about anything except the highest possible fat content of dairy, you're talking about a dose of very difficult to digest milk sugar called lactose. Lactose intolerant, you may have heard of. And guess what? About 80% of the world population, oh, excuse me, I think it's, um, is it 90%? 80% or 90% of the world population adults are lactose intolerant. We stop making the enzyme lactase after a few years of breastfeeding, and then we're ready to move on, and it's no longer appropriate to consume the milk of another species. So um, interesting uh, aside there, uh, it's something like 90% of those with Scandinavian ancestry have lactose persistence. In other, way, in other words, they are lactose tolerant, and that is a really cool example of genetic polymorphisms, advanced uh, sort of a, an advanced example of rapid evolution to adapt to environment, whereby those of Scandinavian ancestry who rely a lot on herding um, passed on to their offspring, offspring the ability to uh, digest uh, milk sugar uh, by necessity. And um, you know what? Another cool example of uh, rapid genetic changes to adapt is the lightening of human skin pigment when we migrated from our equatorial uh, beginnings uh, up to the northern latitudes. And so those with lighter skin are better able to absorb the health-critical vitamin D uh, through the skin, which is the main way that we absorb vitamin D. And uh, that is a genetic adaptation that has happened in a very short time in the last, oh, when did we head to Europe? Like 30,000 years ago, uh, we first started leaving the equatorial environment and coming up. And so by necessity, um, those who had lighter skin 
um, the, the first light skin mutant uh, proliferated and uh, reproduced because uh, people were able to get enough vitamin D. Because without vi enough vitamin D, um, you can have it can have fatal consequences of lifelong vitamin D deficiency. Here's another interesting one. Uh, above the uh, 60th parallel on the globe, um, it's impossible to manufacture any vitamin D from sun exposure ever, even in the middle of summer, because the sun's rays are hit the hit the environment at too oblique of an angle. So you cannot get tan. And if you can't get tan, that means you can't make vitamin D. So if you're out in the sun in Southern California on December 4th on a nice sunny day where it becomes 75 degrees, whatever, and you think you're, uh, you're sunning to make vitamin D, uh, in fact, there's a portion of the year, even in Southern California and other low latitudes where um, vitamin D manufacturing is impossible as evidenced by the inability to tan even if you lay out all day. Um, so yeah, you do not need your sunscreen on December 4th uh, in, in Southern California or anything uh, at any latitude um, except for getting down to the tropics. Okay, this all came about from talking about lactose persistence in Scandinavian cultures. Let's get back to the chart and the organic high-fat dairy. So when we give those distinctions, what we're talking about are foods like ghee, which is clarified butter, and butter, and full-fat cream, cottage cheese, cream cheese, raw or certified organic whole milk from pasture-raised and grass-fed animals. You can also enjoy organic fermented dairy products, including things like cultured buttermilk, full-fat Greek yogurt, kefir, raw milk cheese, and aged cheese, and full-fat sour cream. And in this category, we want to avoid all the low-fat and non-fat and extra-sweetened items, things like 2% milk, skim milk, non-fat yogurts, fruit-flavored yogurts, low-fat cottage cheese, imitation whipped cream, imitation coffee creamer, fat-free cheese, ice cream, frozen yogurt, and all other frozen dairy desserts. These products are essentially sugar bombs that can cause digestive problems and allergic reactions in many people. You also want to avoid all non-organic dairy products, even the high-fat stuff that I mentioned, and that's because of really undesirable processing methods by mainstream manufacturers. There are a high prevalence of chemicals and hormones and other agents in mainstream dairy products, things that you might have heard of like recombinant bovine growth hormone, RBGH is the abbreviation, and dangerous chemicals such as PCBs, POPs, and the evil pesticides DDE and DDT, antibiotics that are illegal but still dispensed to the cattle, and other impurities. Um, we talk about certain people with sensitivity to the protein contained in dairy. Uh, we have two types of proteins found in dairy. There's casein and there's whey. And there's two types of casein, A1 and A2. Whey is generally very easy to digest. That's why it's such a popular supplement. And casein is where certain people have sensitivities. And we talk about A1 casein uh, and A2 casein. Uh, most common and most prevalent is A1 casein because that's what uh, the conventional uh, milk, the conventional cows, and the dairy products coming from those cows are largely in that A1 category. And A1s believed to uh, trigger autoimmune reactions and leaky gut syndrome in sensitive people, whereby A2 is considered vastly less objectionable and easier to tolerate. And that's the form 
that's found. It's a form of casein found in goat's milk and goat's yogurt and sheep's milk and sheep's yogurt. And so that's why those are popular alternatives for people that uh, may be sensitive to dairy. Um, most of the stuff you're going to find, though, is not going to be raw. It's going to be pasteurized, homogenized, and that's to protect against foodborne pathogens, improve the product consistency, extend shelf life. Unfortunately, these high-temperature, high-pressure processes destroy many of the nutrients in dairy products, as well as the enzymes and beneficial bacteria that help you digest them. Yes, pasteurization and homogenation alter the molecular composition of milk, making the component fats, proteins, and carbs difficult to digest. Uh, Weston A. Price Foundation did a study and found that 80% of lactose intolerant people are able to digest raw milk without any problem. A University of Michigan study discovered that 84% of people who were fed raw milk, who were designated lactose intolerance, had no problem. So the raw component is super important for digestibility and avoiding the adverse reactions. Also, raw milk's higher than in omega-3s, conjugated linoleic acids, fat-soluble vitamins, calcium, antimicrobial properties, uh, butyrate for gut health, and so forth. Let's see, in my own diet, I generally will have a carton of yogurt in the fridge, uh, the full-fat variety, and sometimes I'll even get a sweetened variety. I'm not terribly stressed about having a vanilla-flavored yogurt, and those go good with fruit or having some yogurt by itself. Good stuff. I'm trying to find uh, always uh, fermented dairy. So if I find some raw milk or kefir, I will use that in my smoothies for several days uh, instead of bone broth, which is my usual smoothie base. Of course, butter and ghee I use for cooking, uh, but it's definitely not a centerpiece of the diet. And that's why it's at tier number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, certainly minimal objections. And if you love dairy, uh, you go for it and um, make the best choices. And that brings us, as we uh, race through the show, to the end of the tiered ranking system for animal-based foods. So I hope you enjoy and appreciate all segments of this show and go and print out the carnivore scores food ranking chart, have it on your refrigerator at all times and get in the groove of emphasizing the stuff at the top of the rankings. Thanks for listening. We got one more show to cover the end of the chart, which is where we get into the nutritious, easy to digest plant food. So I can't wait to wrap up this whole series. Thank you so much for listening. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation. 
where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free eBooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows. That would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message Thank you so much for spreading the word, and remember, be rad.